Kind of nice. All right, everybody ready? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, boy. You're, you're so set up. You're ready for Sunday. All right. Well, good to see you guys. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Let's, um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll go ahead and get into our word here. Father in heaven, we do want to come before you humbly, asking you, Lord God, to bless us today with your Holy Spirit, that we might bless you. We confess to you, Father, that we're sinners saved by your grace, and we ask you to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we do hold up all of the services that are going on tonight in churches that are speaking your word by means of your spirit that you'd bless the preachers and that you'd bless the uh, people that are listening. Father, please, just bless your Christians around the world, Lord God, especially those who are suffering and poor, hungry, living in countries where they cannot worship you openly or living through some type of disaster. Father, we just pray that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit on them and uh, bless your Christian people. We pray that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit on your Jewish people around the world, convicting them that Jesus Christ is their Savior as well as the Savior of the world. And Father, we pray for the unbelievers that, Lord, you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on them, convicting them that judgment is here and it's coming even, even worse. Father, help them send your gospel message to the unbelievers in this world. And we pray, Lord God, for our government, our country, the people that live in our country, Father, that you'd please just revive us, Lord God, just bring about a great revival that we might still be that light uh, for the other nations of the world. And Lord God, we just pray uh, that anybody that is sick or not feeling well tonight didn't make it, that you bless them, that Lord God, you just uh, continue to help us to uh, grow and we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you remember back, way back, when we were in the book of Corinthians, um, you know, you'd like to think that the church at Corinth was a anomaly, you know, that, that other churches weren't like them. But I'll tell you something, there's a lot of churches, including ours, to some degree, that are like the church at Corinth. They had divisions. Huh? It's full of people. Yeah, exactly. And, and they had divisions in their church and, and schisms. One wanted to follow this person and one wanted to follow that person and one didn't like this person. And oh my goodness. And they had a gossiping and backbiting. You know, these are things that I simply cannot understand Christians doing. You know what I mean? Because when you do that, when you gossip or, or when you you uh, further a story that you heard, you're, you may be furthering something that isn't true. 
not only that, but even if it is true, why, why further it? You know, I mean, it, what, what kind of good will that do? And Paul was facing this. And they had, he had a bunch of false brothers that claimed to be apostles come into his, to this church at Corinth. And they caused all kinds of trouble. They were basically, they were saying, Paul wasn't really an apostle. Okay? He didn't look like an apostle. He didn't sound like an apostle. He just wasn't. They were the apostles. And it's interesting because Paul, even in our scripture we're going to read tonight, calls them super apostles. Yeah, super apostles. And he, he says, you know, that I guess I just didn't have the same flair as the super apostles. And in, in, in chapter, we're going to do chapter, um, I've got us in chapter 11. Is that right? Yes. Um, I think it was all, kind of all-inclusive. I think they were... Uh, the question was, did, did the people criticize Paul for his teachings? And the answer is, they probably criticized him for everything. And that's usually what happens when you find fault with somebody. You, you, know, you don't pick out their good points. You just pick out their bad points, you know? So in chapter 11, we're going to see... Uh, you know what? I'm... I'm going to go to chapter 10. Did we do chapter 10? I don't think we did, did we? We did? Okay, well, let's... Uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 10. So let's start there, and then we'll... Because we've only got 13 chapters, so we, you know... And I'd like to spend some time on, especially on chapter 11. So let's look at chapter 10 real quick, because this is Paul defending his ministry. He says this, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul. Now, here's where it gets a little sarcastic. Who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. So these, they're saying, you know, when he writes you guys a letter, boy, he really is bold. He's really giving it to you. But when he's here in front of you, he doesn't do that, you know. He says this. He says... I beg you, verse 2, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. And I think what he's referring to here is that these false apostles that came in were very worldly. And they were, uh, they held up great oratory and and, uh, you know, outward appearances and all the rest of this stuff. And uh, that just wasn't Paul. And he wasn't Paul. The, the history tells us that Paul was a short man. And that he had kind of a little hook nose. And that he was balding. And he had a high squeaky voice. Now put all that together. And those are not the qualities that we would ordinarily think of an apostle, you know. We think of the apostles as being very bold and very brave. And they were. They certainly were. Not necessarily when they were with Jesus, but when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they definitely were. He says this in verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We do wage war, don't we? But we don't wage it as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power 
to demolish strongholds. I read an article in Midnight Call magazine here this week, and they were talking about gun control because in Canada they've got some laws going out that are pretty strict. Okay, Oregon now has the strictest, it's going to be the strictest gun control law in the nation. And uh, in this article, the people wrote in, is it, what's your opinion? Do we defend ourselves? And the, the writer, the answer was, well, you know, Jesus, you know, said, put your sword away. And if a person slaps you on the right, you should, you know, give them the left cheek and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, no, no. If, if we had a world situation where it was so dire that we were worried about out of control um, violence, right? Like you see, like what we saw in the big cities only everywhere. If my neighbor comes to me and he says, hey, have you got anything to eat? We just, we're out, we don't have anything to eat. I'm gonna give him food. If a mob comes to me and says, we're taking over your house, I'm gonna introduce them to Mr. Smith and Wesson. And uh, I'm gonna say, listen, you know, don't do it because some of you ain't gonna make it back. I really think, and what about if you have kids? You know, a husband has to protect his wife and family. And if a, a, a person's single that has kids, you just, you just say, yeah, here, you take, the, take the littlest one first. No, we defend ourselves. That's, that's my opinion now, okay? Mm-hmm. And take your sword. Take your sword with you. So while he was alive, yeah. he said, you don't use your sword, but when he died and going up to heaven with his father, he said, now you take it. Yeah, and, and you know, how bad could it get? It's going to get very, very bad. Okay, we know that. Is it going to get that bad while we're still here? I have a tendency to think not. Okay, I think it's going to get bad, but not that bad. I think the Lord is going to take us out of this world before um, things just explode in, in, think about this for just a minute, okay? We've talked about this before. It says in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that when he is taken out of the way, then the, the, lawless, the lawless one will come. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. Well, where is the Holy Spirit today, right now? It's in us. It's in his church. I mean, the Holy Spirit's not just necessarily out there doing nothing. He is doing stuff through his church. And when the church gets raptured, then the Holy Spirit, that influence of the church corporately and individually with each person is gonna be taken out of the world. And we may not think that we influence people, but we do. We influence people all the time by our words and by our actions. So I, I have a tendency to believe that when we are raptured up, the Holy Spirit will be taken up with us and it, the Holy Spirit at that point in time will have a different ministry than what it has now in, in some ways, okay? It still wants to see people saved, but remember that, that last seven years 
where the tribulation takes place, that's the last seven years of the age of the Jews or the Jewish age, okay, the age of Israel, because it was interrupted. And uh, in the age of Israel, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people. It just influenced people. Now, we're going to see 144,000 little Billy, Jewish Billy Grahams come up, and they're going to be influencing the world. They, they, come, they come fairly soon on the scene after the rapture. We're going to see the two witnesses, I believe, that appear halfway uh, uh, through the tribulation. That's going to be a big deal. Uh, then there's going to be a lot of people that are saved. And, you know, there's a lot of people right now that are unbelievers, but they're moral people. And when all of this immorality comes out, my hope is, is that they will accept the Lord into their heart and realize that, you know, what's going on is not of the Lord. So we are seeing this being set up right before our eyes. I mean, you look at the one world that they're trying to do. You look at uh, our government, the, the, the president and the vice president and, and all of his officials they're very they're globalists that's what they are they're globalists and they believe in the one world system and they are setting the world up for the antichrist whether they know it or not some of them don't even know it but they are so here it says for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does so he's talking about a, a spiritual war here not a physical war the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, when we see this word strongholds, what, what does it make you think of? We demolish strongholds. That would be my thinking. Yeah, something that uh, the evil one has set up. Uh, you know, because in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about principalities and powers and evil in high places. And this is part of the angelic conflict. He says this in verse 5, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think that's very, very good advice. You know, one of the things that I, I'll just share this with you. This is just me. Maybe some of you have experienced this, but I, I can be just perfectly normal. And then this vain imagination comes into my mind and it wanders off into this thing and, and it builds this thing up. And all of a sudden I'm, th I'm and it, it'll happen when I'm praying. I'll be sitting down and praying and all of a sudden I'll be, what was I, I this morning it happened and I, I forget exactly what, where, where it went, but it went somewhere that it didn't need to go, right? You don't, guys don't get it, do you? You don't. <laughs> okay, good. And, you know, and so to take, to take captive every thought and to make it obedient to Christ, that's where we're trying to be. That's what Romans chapter 12, verse 3, 1 to 3 is talking about, about the transformation of your mind so that we think like God thinks, okay? So that in the spirit, we're living in the spirit, we're walking in the spirit, we're praying in the spirit, we are fighting our fight in the spirit. And so 
when these thoughts come into our, our minds that just don't, don't need to be there, they're, they're vain, then we, we take care of them by, by taking them captive and going, okay, Lord, here. That's just, no, I don't need that thought. Okay, he says this in verse 6, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So the, this was a fairly young church, and, and they are, you know, what did, what did Paul, I think it was Paul, that he said right before he died, right before he went into, into Rome, didn't he say that, that um, there will be wolves that will come into the church and they will attack the sheep when he's gone? And that's exactly what happened when he left. He goes on, he says, verse 7, speaking to the Corinthians now, you are looking only on the surface of things. What's the surface of things? Well, these people have called Paul not an apostle. They have downgraded him. They have said that his teaching wasn't... Because these, these people probably were legalists that came into the church, and they wanted the people to, to have a form of Christianity that included keeping the law. And that's just not the way it works. You can't, you can't put both feet in both ponds and, and, and work it out. He says, you're only looking... You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ. Now he's probably speaking about the people that he's talking to here. He should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. So what do you get out of that? What I get out of that is somebody is talking bad about Paul. They're saying they don't really, Paul, Barnabas, whoever, Timothy, they really don't belong to Christ. They're really not apostles. He says in verse 8, For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person, he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Are you starting to get the idea here? Okay, what they're, what they're saying about Paul, how they're dissing him. Such people should realize that, we are in our, that what we are in our letters, when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. So, you know... Let me read a couple of scriptures to you here about when it says his letters are witty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, okay, and you can turn there if you want to. I won't be there very long. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. Here's what Paul says. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Then if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, so I guess that's ahead of us, and go to verse 6, what does Paul say? He says this, and this is in defense of himself. He says, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge 
We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. So he is really, con- he is really concerned about the Corinthians' attitude that these false teachers have come in and they have persuaded these Corinthian believers that Paul is not the person to listen to. Okay? They're to listen to them. Now, let's see what, he's, what he says. Uh, uh, he says this in verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So Paul gives us, Paul gives us a, an authoritative um, little speech here, basically saying, listen, we have the authority to say the things that we're saying, and yet there are people that are coming against us who are boasting against themselves. They're lifting themselves up, okay? And, uh, you know, that's not the way it goes. I don't lead music like John leads, okay? Because he can read music and all that stuff. I can lead music, but I don't lead it as good as he does, okay? Uh, I don't... Uh, maybe do another function in the church as well as some of you do, but that's why God gave us all different gifts. He gave us different gifts so that when we come together, the gifts blend in and they apply to everyone that way, see? We're not given gifts for ourselves. And this is one of the falsehoods of many of the Pentecostal churches is they feel that this gift or gifts, whatever they want to call them, tongues, prophecies, interpretation, whatever, that it's given for their pleasure. It's not. The Bible is very specific that his gifts are given for the good of other people. So my gift of teaching is not for myself. Okay, it's for you. Now I get to benefit from it because when I study and teach, it convicts me of my own sins. Okay, so I do get benefit, but the gift isn't necessarily for me. Now, let's look at chapter 11, where Paul is really going to get into this thing about the false apostles. So that's the pretense here that he's going under, is that is, is he's, he's, he's going to have a little sarcasm going here. He says this, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. There's sarcasm right now. So he's basically, he's saying this. I've been preaching to you. These people have said that's foolishness. You've been listening, so I guess you've already been putting up with my foolishness, right? Okay? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, he's really being sarcastic here. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now here's what he gets into. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So he's saying, as these false teachers come in, I laid the groundwork, they come in with this falsehoods, and what do you do? You put up with it. He says, but I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Paul definitely had knowledge. Turn with me to the next chapter real quick and go on to just chapter 12, verse 1. It says, he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, he's speaking about himself, who 14 years ago, that was before he went on his first missionary journey, okay, before he was sent out, 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What's the third heaven? The first heaven is our atmosphere, right? The second heaven is our stratosphere or, or uh, you know, where the satellites and all that are. The third heaven is God's dwelling place. He was caught up to God's dwelling place, just like John, the revelator, was caught up in heaven in Revelation chapter 4. It says, this is, this is a big deal here, folks. He says this, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. He's saying, basically, I don't know if it was a vision or whether God actually transported me to that third heaven. I just don't know. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. Do you remember when we studied Revelation and uh, uh, John was told something and he was told, you're going to have to seal this up, okay? Don't tell anybody about this. And here Paul was basically kind of in that same position. And you see, what Paul learned, what did Paul learn in heaven? He learned that the Gentiles would be saved along with Jews, that the Gentiles would receive the gospel. He learned about the, sick, the mysteries, that Christ would be in us, not like it was in the Old Testament, but like it is under the New Covenant. He learned all those things before the other apostles did. Why? Because he was taken up into the third heaven. God had a special mission for Paul. He was the apostle, even though he was a Jew. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, really. And, and he, he did get a lot of coverage with Jews. And maybe we'll get to see some of that in Acts, chap, uh, in, when, when we read on in Acts. So here's what we got here. He said, verse 7, 
Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? So what do you assume from this? I assume that the super apostles were charging, right? They were getting paid. And, and Paul says, you know, I, I wasn't charging you. He says this, I robbed, verse 8, other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed nothing, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to, listen, cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. Do you remember Mary Decker Slaney? Remember her? No? She was a world-class athlete. She was in the, in the Olympics. She was a runner. And she was running her Olympic run. And another runner from South Africa named Julia Budd was running alongside of her. And somehow, someway, Julia Budd kind of creeped into her lane. And she, Mary Decker Slaney tripped. And Julia Budd went on to win. And this is exactly what this is talking about, okay? Exactly. Listen. It says here, listen to this. It says, and I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the thing. Basically, he's saying this. You know what? I'm going to trip them up. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trip them up. These people that are boasting and think that they're equal with us. He says in verse 13, he just lays it out now. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Now Paul is going to continue on here because what he's trying to do is... And he doesn't like doing this either. He's going to say he doesn't like doing this. But he's really boasting about his sufferings in the Lord. Because the apostles, you know, it's interesting when you think about people that boast, okay, about something. Usually they boast about their good things, huh? You know, they boast about their accomplishments. We're going to see Paul here in a few minutes boast about his uh Disappointments, if you will. Let's go on. He says this, verse 18, 16. He says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. This is not the word for stupid in the Greek. This is the word for ignorant, okay? So he says, 
if if you want but if you do then receive me just as you would an ignorant person all right so that i may be may do a little boasting usually people that boast are fairly ignorant okay he says this i'm not talking as the lord would but as a fool since many are boasting in the way the world does i too will boast he's talking about the super apostles now you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise in fact you even put up with anybody who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face to my shame i admit we were too weak to do that what anyone else dares to boast about i'm speaking as a fool i dare to boast about are the hebrews so am i are the israelites so am i are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. That's great, isn't it? He says this, I am more. I am more a servant of Christ than these people here who are coming to you. Now he goes into this list. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Think about what this apostle went through. This is amazing. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 uh, lashes minus one. Five times. That's what they did with Jesus. Darn near killed Jesus. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and they, were, they left him for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, the Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Whew, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And if we go back, let me see if it's in 6. Um, maybe it's in 1 Corinthians 6. Let me see. I'll read something else to you, if I can find it. Let's see here. Well, shuckies. I know it's in here, but I do not see it quickly. So, with that in mind... If any of you other, if any of you guys other know of other passages in Corinthians that Paul has talked about his sufferings, um, let me know because I know it's in here. Okay, in in Second Corinthians. Okay, let's just take, okay. Yeah, let's look at that. Second Corinthians six. Thank you. He says this in verse 3. He says, we put, now just think about what we just read. About the shipwrecks and the stones and, and the beatings and the rods and everything else. He says this. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now think about what the, he's doing here. 
We commend ourselves. Now, if I was commending myself, I'd say, well, you know, uh, I went to Bible school, and, uh, you know, I have, I have preached 574 messages, and that's commending yourself. That's not what Paul does here. Look what he does. He says, rather, he says, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet we are regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet not yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. You know, we got it pretty good as Christians, don't we? I mean, really, these apostles were just amazing people. So in chapter 11 there, he goes in and, and, and he talks about these troubles. Let me, let me go to 1 Corinthians 4. And just because I, I marked a scripture in my book, I don't, don't know exactly what it says, but let me find out here. 1 Corinthians 4, and I'm in verse 11 and 12. And here's what it says. 11 and 12. He says, to this, day, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of this world. Wow. So let's go on. And he says in verse, um, yeah, absolutely. We don't do what he just described? Yeah, absolutely. We don't do that in the United States of America. Okay? In other parts of the world, um, uh, in China and in Iran and in um, the Middle East, Christians are, they're killed for their faith. I mean, there's no doubt. They're, they're living what Paul has talked about here in many different ways. So that's why it's so important for us to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in the world. And if you can support uh, a good quality ministry or two or three or whatever that are feeding or that are, uh, uh, um, like, let me give you an example. Christian aid is a ministry, okay? And Christian aid, when you, when you um, contribute to them, okay? That must be the Christian aid people on the phone right now. <laughs> when you contribute to them, what they do is they take the monies and they give it to the local pastors. They buy a bicycle so that they can go and, because many of those pastors in India or certain countries, they have two or three churches and they, they ride a bicycle for 20 miles to get to their, uh, their next church, 
service. You know, and we complain about having to drive at night, you know. So, uh, yeah, you're right, Sue. Uh, we, we're, pretty, we're pretty coddled here in the United States. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know about you, but I have to bite my tongue, okay? Because my first, my first thought is to, uh, um, to strike back, to strike back. You know, punch me in the face, I'm going to kick you somewhere where you're not very happy, okay? Uh, yeah, I think that the time is coming when Christianity in the United States may be a very minority. And um, we may experience some kind of uh, derision or whatever. And you know what? God's grace will be given to us in that time to be able to, because what did Jesus said? When they drag you up in front of the governors and in front of the, the court systems and stuff, he says, don't think ahead of what you're going to say. He says, I'll give you the words when you get there. Okay. And so God will give us the, the, what we need at that point in time. So back in, he, back in uh, chapter 11, in verse 30, it says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. So what is Paul's methodology here? He's basically saying, I'm going to boast of my weakness so that the strength of God can come out, right? He goes on and he says this. This is interesting because this, this actually happened in um, the book of Acts. He says, in Damascus, the governor uh, under King Aretas had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket, uh, kept from a window in the wall, and slipped through his hands. That's pretty cool, isn't it? They wanted to, they wanted to, they actually uh, guarded all the gates and all the entrances to the city and everything, and they were going to catch Paul, but they let him out in a basket and lowered him down to the ground, and he took off. In chapter 12, starting at verse 1, he says this, I must go on boasting. He's not done yet. He says, although there is nothing for me, there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. This is a big deal. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, speaking of himself, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. Oh, man, just put yourself in his place. What a, an amazing thing to have happened to you. And, and God did not catch him up to paradise for his own good, did he? He caught him up to paradise so that God could teach him these revelations 
so that he could teach others. He could, 2,000 years later, he's still teaching it to us, right? He says this. He heard, this man heard, inexpressible things. Things that man is not permitted to tell. I want to know what Paul heard. Okay? He says this. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than, than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. So he's referring back to this time when he was caught up into the third heaven. And, and God did something with him. He says, there was given me, this is a gift, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Wow. Three times, this is the Apostle Paul here now, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This guy was just amazing. I mean, you know, first of all, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. I mean, he just doesn't really say. There's been a lot of conjecture about what it was. I think that probably the best conjecture that I've ever heard is that he had some type of an eye disease, okay? And it, it, it hindered him from reading the scrolls and it hindered him from writing because if you'll notice at the end of one or two of his letters, he says, I have written to you in big letters. I mean, like large letters. So is this similar to what happened to Job? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Job really experienced, you know, the ultimate catastrophes. But Paul was given this thorn in the flesh, if you will, and, and it was... It was not something necessarily that, as a human being, we would consider good, okay? We would consider it a pain in the butt or something, you know. Um, but God gave him this because of the revelation that God gave him in the third heaven to keep him from... So, so if it was his eyes, then think about this. If you've got an eye disease, okay, it's hard for you to see, and you're a preacher. That makes it even tougher. You've got to have somebody that will read the letters, that will write the letters for you. You've got to have somebody that will help you to read the scrolls that you're studying, etc. And, you know, when Paul would get up in front of an audience, before I had my eye fixed here last week, uh, that it, because the, the, uh, the lower eyelid was slightly down like this, the tear duct was facing the wrong direction. And, man, I'm telling you, it looked like I was crying all the time in the morning. You know, I was just snarfing. And, uh, and now it's, it's a lot better because the, 
the tear duct is pointing the right way. It's pointing into my eye instead of out of my eye. And so you can imagine Paul getting up in front of the audience, you know, with an eye disease, you know, and here he's short already, and he has kind of a squeaky voice, and, and you know, he doesn't look like an apostle, and he's got this eye disease, and he's, he's reading, and, the, you know, the people are going, this guy, you know, is he really an apostle? He goes on, and I love it. He says, this is for Christ's sake. Paul prayed three times. I would venture to say, I'm just saying, okay, Paul's prayers were probably a lot more effective than my prayers. Just saying. I mean, he knew the Lord a lot better than I do. Now, if Paul pleaded three times for the Lord to do something for him, and the Lord said, nah, I'm not going to do that, where does that leave us? You know, we need to... Sometimes we plead three times or more for something and, and it, it doesn't get done. So what we need to do is always say, well, Lord, if it's your will that this gets done, then great. If it's not, that's fine, too. Oh, it puts to rest the prosperity gospel. That prosperity gospel is a false teaching anyway, uh, because what they're saying is the Lord wants you to be prosperous here on the face of the earth. Well, Jesus wasn't very prosperous. That's a problem. Here, the head guy, the head of the Christian faith, wasn't prospering here on the face of the earth. He didn't, wasn't driving around in a Bentley, you know. Uh, you're not because you're not praying the right you, you know, yeah, you don't, right you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith to, you know what? None of us have enough faith. That's the problem. We, none of us have enough faith. Jesus said, if you had faith as large as the seed of a mustard tree, which is a very small, it's like a poppy seed, you could tell a mountain to move and it would move. Now, what, what does that tell you? It tells me I don't have a lot of faith. You know, but what faith I have, I want to be faithful with. Okay? I want to use the faith that I have because faith builds more faith. Why? As I build my faith and trust in the Lord, the more, what does he say? He who has been uh, given a little charge will be given a greater charge. Right? Uh, he whom uh, little is, is he whom has been given much, much is expected out of that person. And so, Paul just says, you know, I prayed about it, and the Lord said, you know, live with it. And, you know, I've been praying that I could grow to 6'4", uh, and look like Fabio, but it hasn't happened yet, so I guess my hair isn't long enough. <laughs> All right, verse 11. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. He's referring back to something. How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Forgive me for not being a burden to you. 
Do you guys see the sarcasm in the last two chapters here? He goes on. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. We need to take that out of the Bible there, okay? I don't think that's, I don't think that's quite right, okay? I don't want my son to read that one. <laughs> he says in verse 15, so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? Obviously, this is a rhetorical question deserving a no answer. I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Paul's really kind of upset here about these super apostles that have come in and messed up the church. And, you know, it seems like at some point in every church's life, you've got to face that. You've got to face someone or some group coming in wanting to upset the apple cart and put um, and push their agenda. When I went to church here in the 80s, okay, and this was previous to this particular congregation. It was a totally different congregation then, okay. There was a young pastor here named Stephen Heath and I was the assistant pastor under him. And he was a fairly recent graduate out of uh, seminary, Bible school. And, uh, you know, he was trying to grow the church and trying to preach. And we probably had, you know, probably had at least as many people as we have on a Sunday now, maybe a little bit more. And he got introduced to the Pentecostal doctrine of you're not a Christian unless you're speaking in tongues and those type of things. And he started bringing this teaching into the church here. Man, I saw the writing on the wall there and I said, Stephen, you can't bring that into a Baptist church. It's not going to work. And he did and it split. It just split up. And he ended up leaving and going somewhere else. I don't know where, which was sad, you know. And I'm, please don't Please don't get me wrong, I'm not speaking against Pentecostals. There's many Pentecostals that are wonderful believers, know the Lord, uh, love the Lord, etc. They just have a different way of viewing the Holy Spirit than what we view the Holy Spirit of. They're wrong, but that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Let's go on. We got a little time? What, what time is that? 20 till? <laughs> Fifteen till? Oh. Thank you. Whew. Took three of you to get the right time. Man. Okay, so let's let's so he's 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 really pushing here, saying, Did we do you wrong? Did we exploit you? Have you got anything that you can come up with that we wronged you in? He goes in verse nineteen. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God 
as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions. Factions is like a different uh, groups in a church that clicks. We would call it a click today, okay? Factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. So this church in Corinth has indulged in these sinful things, sexual sins, impurity, and debaucheries. Well, we read in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it was in chapter, it was either in chapter 7 or, cha no, it was chapter 10, excuse me, about when they came together for communion, that it was like a free-for-all, you know. Yeah. The rich brought in food, and they lined up first so they'd make sure they get their food, and the poor was, were kind of left, in, you know, like I am at the back of the line, you know what I mean? Oh, boo-hoo-hoo. That's <laughs> uh, great. So he says then in chapter 13, th these are basically the final warnings that he's going to give this church. This is my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. And now I repeat it while absent. Here's the warning. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. This next verse is, is, is I love this verse, it's crucial. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Not just faith, but the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right even though we may have seemed to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up and not tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. 
and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So he's got the, the Trinity in here. Be with you all. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what I think we'll do here is we've got another couple, couple of Wednesdays at least before the first. Do you guys have anything you'd like me to bring to you? A steak? I knew, you know, I knew something would come out of the back row there. Right. Is there any teaching that you'd like to explore or anything? Is there any part of the Bible you don't know? Let's just put it that way. All of it. The book of Joel in the Old Testament? Yeah. Jude? Oh, Jude's, Jude is a phenomenal book. You guys want to study Jude? It's short. It's, it's, it's one chapter, but it contains all kinds of good stuff in it. So we'll do Jude one night. What else would you guys like to do? I see lips moving back there, but I don't hear anything. Yes, Lucky. The Tower of Babel? Okay, let me look into that and see, that because that is interesting, uh, and, and where they went after that and what families did what. Yeah, that might take a little more than one, one uh, study, so... Let me look into that one. That's a good, good suggestion. All right, guys. Well, Corinthians, did you learn anything? Yeah, I mean, the church in Corinth was kind of in trouble in, in several different ways. And, you know, if you read the first and second letters to Corinthians and you say, we don't want our church to be like that, then you're probably on pretty safe ground, okay? Because they, they had some major, major problems that Paul had to deal with. And, um, you know, we have, we've had problems in this church. I'm glad this year's over. To be honest, I'm glad this year's over. Just, oh my goodness. We had uh, problems with brothers and sisters. We had problems with health problems. Yeah, we had problems with uh, uh, the, just everything, you know. And it, we made it through. You know, we made it through. Now, let me say this to you, too, okay? I talked to Bill Gallagher on the phone today. Bill is going to come and speak to us, not this next Sunday, but the Sunday after. I asked him to do that because he is going to be teaching the last two Wednesdays of every month, all right, on Wednesday night. And he's going to, we're going to have the potluck and everything just like we have, and he's going, his teaching, he's got a six-month teaching on the life of Joseph. Yeah, and he's, yeah, and it's going to be really good because Joseph went through so much. And Joseph was a picture of Christ, too. So I, I think that we're going to find that to be pretty interesting, and I'm going to try to make it here, too. And the reason that, the reason that we went that way, and I'm just, I'll just be brutally honest with you, 
is when I get finished with a Sunday message, okay? Sunday afternoon, I'm so pooped that I usually take a nap and then I watch it. But Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I got to prepare for this class. Then on Thursday, I got to start thinking about Sunday again, okay? So Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and usually all day Saturday, I'm studying for Sunday. And I just, I just don't want to do it anymore. I just, I just don't want to, I can't, I, I, please don't take this the wrong way, but I don't feel like I've been enjoying life, uh, going camping and doing the things that I really like to do, you know what I mean? So what we did is we, we went out and we, we got Bill Gallagher to, uh, to commit to two Sundays, two Wednesdays uh, a month, the last two Wednesdays a month, and then we'll figure out on the next two Wednesdays what we're going to do. I, I have got a lot of um, really good documentaries, Christian documentaries, Christian teachings on CD. I think Sue's got some. Yeah, I think that would be good. So, I don't, yes. Last two Wednesdays of every month, starting in January. Yeah, starting in January. So then, um, what that does is it gives me a break. It just gives me a break because now if I want to go camping, I just, Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, I get in the camper and I go up and get lost in the woods somewhere and uh, I don't have to be back. If I, if I don't want to, or I can visit with my kids, my grandkids. Two of my grandkids, one of them is 16 going on 17. So you know, I mean, he's a junior in high school. He's going to be gone in two years. Then my other uh, my daughter's boy is 14, going to be 15. In fact, he just turned 15. So uh, you know, I want to at least be able to influence them before they get too old to be able to influence. And then... Um, my son has two young boys with one on the landing pad. Okay, he's gonna have he's gonna have a third boy. I know, and his wife wanted a girl, so I don't know whether she's gonna bug him to. Well, what do you think? Can we go for four? You know, I know what I would do, but anyway, uh, so I, you know, I'll get to see them. So, and it'll be you know, I think it'll be good for us too. We'll get a chance to have. A little, little different flavor on Wednesday nights, and Bill is a very accomplished person. He's been a pastor at Trail Christian Fellowship for something like 14 years or something like that. He does a lot of counseling. He does teaching. The only reason we can't get him four Wednesday nights is because the first two Wednesday nights he teaches over there. So I'm kind of looking forward to just hearing somebody else, and, their, and this study on Joseph should be really fun. Joseph is, is an excellent study. And so anyway, I think it'll be a treat for us. And so I hope you treat him as well as you did me. And uh, back of the line. Back of the line, Bill. <laughs> That's right. You're last, buddy. I know you brought something, but <laughs> hey. So anyway, that'll, that'll be fun. And, and then this... Um, this uh, for, from now to the end of the year, uh, you know, we'll have some Christmas. We're going to have, we're gonna have a church on Christmas Day. Uh, for anybody that can't make it, we understand. You know, if they've got to be with their family, they've got to be with their family. But I can't see canceling church on one of the most important days of the year. Hey, Jesus, sorry, but, uh, you know, 
the Dallas Cowboys are playing. <laughs> no. Yes. Let's pray. He's going to preach not this Sunday, but the Sunday after, the 18th. Okay, the 18th of, of December. And I asked him to do that kind of like a, a prequel so that anybody here at church that has not heard him speak can listen and then they can make up their mind whether they want to go to his Wednesday night Bible study. I'd like to see, you know, one time we had 55 people on Wednesday nights. That was pretty awesome. Um, you know, I'd like to get, I'd like to get our church back, um, you know, where the, the pews are full of people that want to hear about God. That's what I'd like to see. COVID, COVID cut our congregation in half. So, thanks, devil. You know. Um, yeah, it was a weeding out process for some of the people. And uh, for some of them, I've, you know, I, I mean, when I don't go to church on Sunday, if I, if I take a Sunday off, okay, okay, that's one thing. But to take two or three or four or ten off in a row, that's a whole other thing. I just, I, I got to be in church I, somewhere here. They pay me to go to church here. We do. And, you know, there's a saying in Christian circles that you can tell the strength of your church by your Wednesday night congregation. All right. So you guys are the strength of our church. Now, that's not to say that there are people that are not strong that don't come here, okay? Because there are. Uh, you know, if, if somebody can't drive at night, they can't drive at night. I mean, I understand that. Uh, but that doesn't apply, you know, in the summer when it doesn't get dark till 9.30. You know what I mean? I, that, yeah, I had someone try to argue that one with me. I said, gee, really? I said, doesn't get dark till 9.30. We're out of here usually about 8. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this, this study in First and Second Corinthians. Help us to go over it again, to review it, and to get it into our hearts. Paul, uh, the, the Lord, your apostle Paul was just such an amazing man. We don't ask to be like Paul but we do ask, Lord God, that you would help us to be the best we can be as far as Christians go. Help each one of us to be the best Christian that we have the capacity to be. Give us a hunger for your word. Help us, Lord God, to put it into faith and into action and to love people and to love you with all of our heart. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends. Wow, well, we did it, didn't we? Yeah. I tr yeah, I don't like subdivision camping. No. What's a spot X?